What does it mean when someone is going to do a new thing? What does it mean when the old way of doing something is going away and the new way is coming in, whether we like it or not? When your reliable flip phone dies and the store forces you to adopt one of those newfangled smartphones, it will be frustrating. But you know that. You traded your, DV, your, your VCRs for DVD players. You traded your cassette tapes for CDs. When a favorite restaurant closes and you have to find a new dish, it's sad. And when something in our personal lives, our little personal worlds must change, oftentimes it is for the better, but... That does not mean we do not resist fear and wonder about that which is going away, right? That is human and that is natural. But that is not always what God is calling us to. In this morning's readings from Jeremiah and John, we see the call to something new, to a new covenant, a new way of relating to God. Jeremiah points out that which was will no longer be at some point. The people will have access to God in a unique way, not just mediated through the work of the temple, the way they had always known God to speak. But getting there is going to mean change. Oh, and it's going to take faith. By the time we get to Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John, what we see is that those who had the most at stake in the tradition of Judaism were the ones who were running the temple, and they then were the most resistant to this new covenant that was coming. But the thing is, God is always at work, always at work on something new, always pulling us forward into ways that we are to go that are best for our lives and for how we, meet, how, how we may fulfill our call to be faithful children and the faithful children of God we want to be. But doing this does require, oftentimes, that we let some of our own stuff go. We give some things away and we... Well... Let's put it hopefully. We put the grain of our lives to good use. The hard part about this is that our default is to save the grain. It's our nature, it's our tendency to conserve, to save up for a rainy day. And, and, and building upon thousands of years of human experience, we seek places that are familiar and safe. In years past, that was so that we could stay alive. But in faith, that, the call of God is never that simple. Staying where we are is not how God's word gets written on our hearts. It's not how we draw close to Jesus, glorify his name, or live a life that bears fruit. In order to fully experience the love and call of God, we need to figure out how to let our plans, our ideas, our agendas go. Or, better yet, how do we plant them in the ground of God's love? 
We need to figure out. We need to discern how to be not so concerned with saving ourselves for ourselves so that we can truly concern ourselves with what God has for us and for our lives. That's where these passages point us to, I think. And I hope that's what you hear in some way as we turn to readings from Scripture. First, from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And then from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 20 through 33. Jeremiah, we read, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive them of their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. We turn to the Gospel of John chapter 12 and read, Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The, son, or the, hour, has been, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it must remain a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd standing there heard it and said that it was, like, that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a hard passage from John. Although, if you pull out your calendar, you see that that's fitting, isn't it? I mean, next Sunday's Palm Sunday. 
Two weeks from now, we'll gather on Easter Sunday, but we know what happens between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. But it does seem that we want scriptures that bring ease and comfort all too often. We do want to know that the Lord walks with us, but what, how the Lord walks with us today is, well, it's difficult. Because if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to be with Jesus, we are going to have to give something away. Give ourselves away. Allow our lives to be used by God in ways that we might not plan or expect. In that way, I think this sermon floats around that scripture from verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The idea that a grain must die and go into the ground is familiar to us right now. The small gardeners among us, all the way up to the large-scale farmers in this room, are preparing the ground for seeds to go in and die and bring new life and bear much fruit. And that's not just a story about agriculture. It's a story about our gifts and our talents in our lives. This passage tells us that God will do something new with us and through us, but it is imploring us that in order for that to happen, we have to be buried, die to our will, die to our plans, our ideas, our way of doing things in order for new life to be birthed. But in this illustration, The seeds we have in storage are simply seeds in our lives, our our seeds. The seeds of our lives need to go into the hidden places of the dirt in an exercise of faith that God will do something even when we cannot see what it is or what it might be. Yet, through hope and trust and faith, God grows up a seed to bear much fruit. And when it comes to our lives, our plans, our ideas, and our ways of doing things are, well, those are the things sometimes that we need to bury in order to allow God to bring about much fruit. Too often we do not bear the fruit that we could because we are trying to save our grain, save our plans, be proud of what we've conserved. But the life of faith is not about storing seeds up in a jar. It's not about keeping our hidden talents and gifts to ourselves. Through those things, those things must be handled well, not hoarded. And beyond those aspects of our lives, we're not always to make our own plans and hope that God blesses them. We are to seek God's plan and see how we can experience and share His light, His love with the world. 
This takes faith to not hold on to our seeds, but to plant them and allow God to work. If we don't, we miss the new growth, the new resurrection, and the new life with Jesus that does come in about two weeks from now. Now, Will Willimon is a name you might know. You might not, and if you don't, it's okay. But Will Willimon is a professor at Duke Divinity School. And he was the dean of Duke's chapel for a long time, 15 years. As the dean of the chapel, he was the university chaplain. He taught classes. He counseled students. He represented the university. But given that he was also a tenure-track professor at the Divinity School, he got to play the role of provocateur also. And that's his favorite role. Students would come to him and seek wisdom and seek comfort and seek mentorship. But Will also had this, has this way of being a crusty old sarcastic professor that is very endearing to those of us who have been his students, but also leaves us packing up our books each day saying, I could never say that. He tells a story once of a parent who came to him right around graduation time there on campus. The father had a daughter who was finishing her degree at Duke. She had invested time and energy in the university chapel. She'd gotten involved in campus ministry, going on mission trips, and was beginning to sense a call from God. She was, upon graduation, ready to explore religious studies rather than law, economics, medicine, or business. And in, well, in Dr. Willeman's mind, this was great. The chapel had worked. Campus ministry had done the right thing. But the father, who'd grown up taking his daughter to church back home, was, well, he was frustrated when he got to Will's office. He had planted a seed, he thought. He had sent her to Duke, and he didn't want that seed to go into ministry. He wanted her to fulfill her original plans, that she be wildly successful and make tons of money through law and medicine and, or business. She wasn't supposed to be going into the ministry, and Willimon bore the brunt of that father's frustration. In class, he always tells this story ironically and sarcastically, not to make the ministry student out to be a hero and not to make the father the butt of some joke because that's not it. Rather, Willeman points out that sometimes we have plans and the Holy Spirit has other plans. God gave us seeds and we plant them and we think we need to manage the seeds and keep them close. But the call of God is to plant the seeds and let them grow. And when that happens, we don't always get to define the fruit that God grows up within us. That growth is up to God. And in the case of the particular Duke undergraduate student, the fruit that grew was a call to serve God through ministry. And the way she found out that could happen was by planting her seed early and letting it grow. And that's what God calls you and me to do also. 
Therefore, as hard and as ominous as sometimes that reality might be, I very much remember not wanting to be called to ministry because I didn't want to become a missionary in Africa. The fact of the matter is, these seeds are not scary. Oh, seeds aren't scary. Seeds are about hope and faith and possibility and promise and potential. Seeds bring life, don't they? Seeds ensure a new tomorrow. Seeds give of themselves in order that something else might live. Something new, something bigger, something more hope-filled. And something that reaches beyond itself, which is why Jesus says, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus reminds us that Letting go of what we know, what we can stick on a shelf, store in a can, or reliably predict. Letting go of those things can bring about something beyond what we can imagine. Letting go of our rigid plans, our limited ideas, our finite possibilities for what we can understand is the only way that we can open ourselves up enough to allow God to work in us and with us and through us. And in that way, taking the seed of what we know is possible for ourselves and burying it in the right place with God's love is the only best possibility. When we take our talents, our ideas, our gifts, our possibilities, all of which God gave us to start with, and plant them, we begin to see what is truly possible we see that the sacrifices that we make in faith are not just dying to ideas and plans that we might want, but they are giving ourselves to God to allow God to bring about something even greater through a community of friends, a congregation like a church, and, and, and in love and service to one another so that the, the true fruit of our talents, our gifts, are made into something more meaningful and more hopeful than we ever could have imagined making them on our own. On our own. Well, you all, on your own, you're pretty great. On your own, you can develop skills and acquire tools and save up for a rainy day on your own. But what good is a gardener who collects seeds but never plants them? It's just a gardener that doesn't bear any fruit. And the life of faith is one by which giving of ourselves and giving our plans and all of us burying our seeds in the ground of God's love begins to bear more fruit than we ever could have imagined. And in that way, death is not the end. Death is only the beginning. It's the beginning of an exercise of faith that puts something with promise in a place where it has the right conditions to grow and mature and come into what it actually can be. And we get to see it come to life. It's farming through faithfulness. But the only way we do that is to not save our grain. It's to plant it. There's a prayer in a prayer book on my shelf that I've always remembered, and it's always a little bit haunting, but it's so almost so extreme that it's perfect for today. It's a blessing given to a spiritual 
writer named Henry Nouwen. It was given to him by his mentor, and it's this. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness that you may experience the powerlessness and poverty of a child and sing and dance in the love of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I don't pray this prayer to take away our dreams, our hopes, our desires, goals, or ideas. Rather, the stark language reminds us to give those things to God. Bury them in the ground of God's love to allow God to use what we have, who we are, who God created us to be, to to bring something for us that we could not have otherwise imagined. If we don't do this, we just have gifts and talents and resources in jars hidden on shelves. But for God to work in us and with us and through us, we give the seeds back to God. Bury them in His love. And remember that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it does die, it bears much fruit. My prayer for us today is that we won't save the grains of our lives. Rather, we will discern how to plant them with the Lord that we will have the courage to do it, and that we will experience the joy of bearing much fruit through God's work and God's love. Will you pray with me? Loving and holy God, we face a hard passage that is full of possibility and hope. And so, Lord, may we focus on that hope Remembering that the only way to truly live is to live in your love and your grace. Remembering that the way to experience your life and your hope is to bury our desires, our gifts, our talents, all of those things you have given us, to bury them in your love and to discern how you're leading us to bring them to come alive. And so, Lord, help us with that today. Help us to have belief. Help us to have faith and courage to do this so that we might love you more closely, love one one another more faithfully, and experience your love with and for others more fully in this day and each day that lies ahead. This, O Lord, is our prayer that we offer in your great name. Amen.